Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Joining me today, an old Artur got a passion project finished and so we had to call up Josh Brown because that's what he's here for. Josh, how's it going? Doing great, doing great. And also joining me today, someone I'm very excited to have join me, a longtime listener, first time guest. For some reason, he showed up wearing a Stetson. I don't know what's going on with that. It's Matt Frias. Matt, thank you for being here. Hi, thank you for having me, Josh. So Killers of the Flower Moon is the, again, the newest film from Martin Scorsese, his first film since 2019's The Irishman. It is adapted from David Grant's novel of the same name. It tells the story of the, the Osage Native American tribe in uh, the 19, early, late 19-teens and the 1920s. Uh, unfortunately, they there was a series of murders of their people as they were being systematically uh, just taken out so they could, so people could earn the, people could recover the head rights, the oil, because they became a very wealthy people there that were the they were the wealthy people in this osage in this community in oklahoma that uh you know basically had white people working for them because when they got kicked off some land they ended up you know on this other land and struck a deal where they got to keep the mineral rights uh and the oil rights for this land and they lived a very prosperous lifestyle and uh unfortunately uh it kind of seemed like people they were being hunted down to uh take their wealth and eventually the fbi was brought in to investigate and that was largely what david grand's book focuses on and martin scorsese read the book and decided he really wanted to turn this into a movie and he collaborated with leonardo dicaprio as he often does the movie also stars uh, uh jesse plemons robert de niro lily gladstone uh but of note originally i think uh leonardo dicaprio was you know uh cast to play the role of tom white who is the you know who is the detective or the fbi investigator former texas ranger that comes into this community at the behest of the osage tribe to investigate what's going on but at some point uh when things got delayed because of covid martin scorsese had a bit of a had a bit of a you know a, a reimagining of how we wanted to handle this after after thinking about it uh i think conferring with the osage tribe and the movie ultimately centered a little bit more they decided on uh molly kyle who is kind of played by lily gladstone and is a, a woman whose family was uh severely affected by these murders and her husband ernest who uh leonardo DiCaprio ended up taking on that role and it, the movie largely focused on their relationship but honestly I think there's other ways in which this movie guys like deviates from the book even more. Uh, Matt read the book some time ago. I read it earlier this year. I don't think you've read the book. Have you, Josh? Why you got to out me like that? I'm not trying to out you. I think, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because you're coming at it from a different perspective though. And I don't know yeah, how much yeah. you've read about it, how much you've read about what they changed from the book. Cause that's a little yeah, bit no. where I want to start with this. Yeah, I know. I feel a little bit guilty being the history teacher, not having read the book. <laughs> um, I would have. It's just been a busy year. But No, uh, no, no. I, I'm not trying to shame you. I think you're just coming at it from a different perspective because it has some big changes from the book, as I'm sure you quickly kind of came to see within the first hour of this movie, Matt. It's a three hour and 26 minute movie. But the one notable thing about the book is that it unravels like a mystery. And yes. uh, you and you don't actually find out who the main perpetrators of these crimes are till honestly, probably about two thirds of the way through the book. And the final third of the book, which I actually found really interesting, Josh, is about it's like David Grant writing it in the first person and doing his own investigation to try and uncover more stuff in the 21st century and going back and talking to family members and just putting on it more of an investigator hat as much as he, as much as he was a, a journalist in some ways, but he was just an event, or I guess he's just be investigative. He was doing an investigative journalist first person's story for like basically the last hundred pages of the book. And so it's just structured very differently where it just up until that point, it's a mystery that you kind of find out what, what, what the results are and who's behind these murders at the end. In the movie, uh, it becomes apparent within the first hour to anyone that doesn't already know the story, 
who is behind these crimes. And I thought that was a really interesting departure. And I, I, I was caught off guard by it. And I, I wasn't even sure how I felt about that change because it was just such a big departure. And I, I thought I was in for like a mystery book. And I think even the marketing in this film kind of sets you up to think that. You guys remember the first trailer where it's like, you know, can you spot the wolves in this picture? And I think it, it, it kind of leads you to believe, oh, it's going to be a mystery about who the, who, which of these people is behind all this. And you're going to be like trying to figure that out the whole movie. And that's just, that's just not what it is. And I, and I left the movie thinking like, that's so different. And I don't know how I feel about that. And I, I, that was part of the reason I wanted to see it again. We're not doing that. We're not recording this till about a week and a half after the movie's release because I wanted to go again. Uh, I'm curious. I'm curious, Matt. I guess I'll start with you as another person who read the book and was very excited to see this movie. Uh, first of all, uh, you, you can talk big picture for a second if you want to and say if you were ultimately satisfied with the movie and enjoyed your experience because it seemed like you did and you were excited. But I'm wondering what your big takeaway was as far as like how you felt Martin Scorsese, who I should note, has a screenplay credit on this movie with Eric Roth, who is a just a, I mean, a legendary screenwriter, but Martin Scorsese doesn't as frequently have screenwriting credits. I think he did on Silence, but before that, it had been a, it had been a while. So he wrote, he adapted this with Eric Roth, and they really took this in a different direction and made it much less of a mystery than the book. And I'm wondering how you ultimately felt about the movie, Matt, and more specifically, how you felt about that choice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I really enjoyed the movie. I Presume it will be one of the leading contenders come award season for a number of the main actors and supporting actors, including but not limited to Molly. Uh, I thought Lily Gladstone did a great job. She um, she was a scene stealer. And before the movie began, when the trailer released, Josh and I were texting. Uh, I was texting Josh about like, who is this lady? I've never heard of Lily Gladstone. I've never seen her in a movie, never seen her in any kind of like TV series. It was almost kind of like meeting her for the first time in that trailer. And it, it kind of reminded me of, I guess, like um, in, in Wolf of Wall Street in a way with Margot Robbie. I never saw her in anything before that. And she, you know, catapulted to superstardom. I almost wonder if that's the same trajectory with Lily coming out of here with or without an award. Real ones go back to certain women with uh, Kelly Reichardt's 2017 movie. We knew Lily Gladstone was destined for big things then, but apparently she was like almost ready to quit acting though before Martin Scorsese called her up. So maybe, maybe, maybe so like not, not enough people, she didn't get enough people's attention then, but eventually it kind of worked out. <laughs> I have to watch it. I have to watch it. But going back to your points though, on um, the differences between the, the book and, and the film, mm-hmm. I definitely was expecting more of a sinister feel uh, to, to this movie. Uh, more of a suspense, like uh, if I if I had to compare and contrast, like expectations going in, maybe like a like an LA Confidential esque type suspenseful who done it type big plot uh, mystery, which I was expecting and I was hoping for. Um, I thought because I thought because I thought De Niro could do a really good job playing that role mm-hmm. as Tom as as Will Hale and and someone as sinister as like masterminding the systematic you know murders of, of the Osage Nation and and being behind the scenes. So um, no spoilers here, but, um, yeah, but go, ahead. That- go, go, go ahead. Spoil all you want. People are going to be able to watch this on Apple soon. It's going to be easily accessible. I don't want to talk around it. Say whatever you want. Yeah. I, I really thought that um, Scorsese did a good job following the book, but emphasizing more on character dialogue and focusing on the, on the tribe itself when he could and, and where he could too, instead of making a movie just about the white characters and the white guys and the FBI and the white savior. I saw that in, in several other uh, like critic reviews too, that they appreciated it. And part of the reason why I think it was ranked so highly from them is that, but at the same time, I did want more of that whodunit feel that mystery feel that 
not film noir, but kind of sort of like that in a way. I know it was more of a Western. There's a lot going on, a lot of different genres at times, but I I, I enjoyed it. There were a lot of differences, uh, book versus film, and we can get into that one by one. But the um, the exposing De Niro for who he was earlier on, I, I preferred doing that later, even though I knew it was coming because right. I read the book. I would have preferred it to to hide the ball more for for people like my wife. My, well, my wife, my wife and I watched it together, and she immediately knew. I think it was before the one hour mark. I think it was like 30, 45 minutes in. It was like pretty apparent when when uh, t- uh, their Leonardo, first conversation, basically, basically the first conversation on the cattle plantation at, at Will Hale's um, in Will Hale's house in his living room. It was it was very apparent right away. Just looking at uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's brother in the room you could kind of tell where it was going at least from, from my point of view i wish that it was more of like a, a suspense mystery i got you josh i'm curious uh i'm sure this this was a long-awaited thing for you as well but like we said you didn't necessarily come in with the preconceived expectations that uh matt and i had so uh i'm wondering what do you what what, what, what were your big takeaways from this movie and how do you feel about like knowing what you knew going in and what you ultimately saw as someone that cares about like what Martin Scorsese is doing at this point in his career, what did you make of him ultimately making this particular version of this movie uh, at, at this point in time? Well, like actually, you know, having not read the book, but just having listened to interviews with Scorsese mm-hmm. about um, how he adapted and why he adapted the book the way that he did. Um, and knowing also like maybe a year or two in advance that like DiCaprio last minute, like switch roles with Plemons. Um, one of the reasons like Scorsese gave for why he adapted the book the way he did was the fact that how the book and correct me if I'm wrong, how the book is set up, as you guys said, like it's a mystery and also like a police procedural. And um, Scorsese is just like, you know, I don't we've seen that done that thousand different times and I don't know how I could actually do a police procedural like nothing wrong with that, but that's just not my style. And then also the other part of it, too, was like he was worried about like it being like a white savior narrative um, if you did it from the perspective of the FBI. And so I think like, you know, with Scorsese's career and the type of films that he uh, is, uh, it does, like I think like the thing that he's most fascinated by is human behavior. And so I and also like the violence in America, like how like, you know, throughout like our founding and like throughout like Scorsese's films about like how he depicts America he's always depicting us as this violent greedy like nation you know and so um it kind of makes sense in that regard that he's gonna just like you know pull the curtain off and just like focus on like just these like unrepentant greedy characters that are very similar to the characters of like Wolf of Wall Street or or like you know there is like some type of kind of gangster-esque elements uh to it um when it comes to like the organized crime and how orchestrated um these white people are in terms of killing off the osage people um and so you know thematically it made sense to me in regards to like his movies um and also the other thing i knew going into it were like the type of movies that he was influenced by in making this um you know scorsese is a long time like western fan and this is sort of a western 
Um, but like he talks a lot about like so it's something new for him because he's never really done that before, right? Right, right. Like you know, like yeah, it's very rare to see like Scorsese outside of New York. <laughs> um, um, and so he talks about like this movie, like he did like his TCM like programming um in the run up to the movie where he programmed William Wyler's The Heiress, which is a takes place like around the same time as like Age of Innocent and Age of Innocence, where it's about like this wealthy daughter um she's like in a relationship with montgomery cliff and he's like trying to steal her money and that's like a huge influence on this film and also um another western that's like a western noir um uh, blood on the moon and so you can kind of see having watched those movies now you can kind of see those influences on it and how like i think he's trying to go for something a little bit more deeper than you know the type of like the story has been told before in movies uh like there was a movie from the 1950s called the fbi story starring jimmy stewart mm. which is just kind of fbi propaganda like as we'll probably get to later in the movie in terms of the coda of this film but i think he kind of wanted to like avoid um that type of perspective on the film but it sounds like you liked where he ultimately took things uh, yes, yes. And, and and also, and we'll probably get this to this, it's not without like some reservations in terms of like, it's still from the perspective of white people, it's still from like, Leo is still the central character in which you're seeing this world from. It's not really from the Osage people. And I know that's rankled some members um, of the Osage tribe that were working on the film and some critics, but I think... <laughs> I've heard some like kind of acknowledge like, yeah, it'd be great if it was even more centered on them. But at the same time, I think like a lot of people understood or or if it was even told from a, a an indigenous filmmaker. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people would just kind of acknowledge you're not getting it made on this scale without Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese attached. And it does seem like they collaborated pretty closely with the Osage. You know? Right, 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 right. Yeah. And again, like I think he found a way into the story that worked for him and worked overall for the picture and i can understand why maybe somebody would want it a little bit more centered on the osage instead of um um the villains of this movie but at the same time it's also in keeping with like sort of like scorsese's um you know anti-hero protagonist that occupies like the rest of his work yeah it's funny i, I i'm glad that you liked it and I, and I and i really like the movie too but like i think i might even come down similar to where matt does and that like i think maybe i would like the the, the detective side uh, story or a mystery story like something that's a little more like that a little more but when i went back and watched it again i think it was helped by doing some reading on the movie though i haven't actually read that many reviews about it though i think to, to, to tell it the way they did where they just don't do it as much of a mystery and they just are out are just like pr- quite upfront with what happened. I think that in and of itself just kind of shows you a little bit about how Scorsese felt about, you know, just America in general and how like the Mark or not just Scorsese, because obviously other people would agree with him. And he, again, he collaborated with a lot of folks for this, but like how, what, what it said about the country that like, they could be that open about this whole thing. And that Hale is like, I mean, obviously he's not like going and confessing to anything, but he's not exactly like, they're not exactly being shy about what they're doing. They're having all these conversations about really kind of out in public. They're not doing it like in, you know, off in the, off, off in the dark in the, in, in, in the middle of the night, off on a country road. They're just talking about in the middle of town where, you know, Ernest, Ernest is asking different guys to pull off murders or, you know, hey, and I mean, Hale, he seems smart enough to like not 
to have him do his bidding. So he's not having to have as many of those conversations, but like, they're just so out in the open about it. And he's just asking people to do these things. And one of the guys, the guy that killed Roan, the guy that killed Henry, like, is this like, I don't want to do a murder. And he's like, well, it's up in, it's up in Osage. He's like, Oh, why didn't you say so? And he's just like going to do it. It's like these guys, they think they can get away with it so easily. And the fact that like, I think that, that to, to show the, the machinations behind the murders so blatantly, how blatant they were and how out in the open they were throughout, I think that in and of itself just kind of beats, it serves its own purpose and like kind of beating the audience over the head with just how like messed up this whole thing was and how, how easily all these guys who, as many have said, I'm not the first to make this point are just kind of bumbling and don't seem all that intelligent. Ernst being the leader of him and not seeing all that intelligent, like they're just able to just kind of go do whatever they want without that much fear of any retaliation. And uh, you know, there's eventually some level of an investigation at the end, but if you read the book, I don't know if the, I guess the movie probably, I can't remember if the, those title cards at the end of the movie kind of said it, but like, you know, yeah, they make some arrests at the end of this movie, but it's a small fraction of the, what uh, of, of probably the people that would have perpetrated a lot of these kind of crimes. Um, Matt, what was your reaction ultimately, I guess, to like, them being like that blatant right from the start with the murders. I think I asked you before if you liked the mystery better, but did was there was there something that kind of resonated with you too about this seeing like how these guys felt they could move that freely throughout the community and operate like that? It was like the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the Western element of the film comes into play, especially mm-hmm. with the um, for example, the the murder of Molly's sister, which I thought more or less followed the book, and also some of the other murders of the other Osage. Um, I, I thought did a good job. Um uh, staying true to the source material for at least what I consider the source material, which is the book. Um, I, I didn't have any other notes on that. Although there were other like notes I wanted to bring up on book versus movie real quickly. If yeah, now yeah. is a fine time. Sure, sure. Um, number one with Ernest, Ernest Leonardo DiCaprio's character. I thought I wasn't sure exactly whether there will be a lot of character development um, outside of the novel going into the movie. And after seeing it, it, it totally made sense to build him up. I mean, he's on the marquee. It's Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Yeah, he um, and he, he's not much of a character for most of the book. Like they mentioned, he him, is not. No, really, he's a supporting character. In the you book. don't get to you don't get to know much about him as a person, which is why until I realized like how the movie was structured when people first started seeing it and saying how like, Oh yeah. Like Tom White, Jesse Plumman's not actually in it that much. This is more his story before I knew that. And just that Leo was playing him. I was like, Oh, this can be really interesting to see what he does with this guy that might just be actually a supporting character that turns into something else. I didn't know it was going to be that centered on him, but like, yeah, it, like you said, in some ways it probably does make it a different, rich, rich, different type of rich experience to like get inside. And same with Molly actually, like, cause you know, I think I've seen some people kind of criticizing the film a little bit and, or maybe just kind of lamenting the fact that like, because Lily Gladstone's performance is so good that she's not in a lot of the second half of the movie, but it's like, that's inevitable when like she is really drugged in real life. Like that's just part of what happened and part of the story. But at this, but but, but like, I feel like so much of the movie, even more so in the book, like they Mm -hmm. gave her more agency and more to do in the movie. In the book, she's just really just in the background with with a bunch of terrible stuff happening there. Like neither of them are really characters in the movie compared to Hale and White really. In, in the, yeah. In the, yeah in the book compared to neither of them are characters in the book comp- compared to hale and white is and they really changed that in the movie exactly think- yeah in the movie i mean i i think that there was um they, the scorsese minimized tom white jesse plemons and of course up the ante with Ernest and the character development there um which i think was i think was fine i don't i don't feel strongly about it one way or the other but in the novel Ernest was definitely a supporting character and not a lead mm-hmm. yeah sorry yeah. what did you say josh Oh, I think like Gladstone like walks this like very 
tricky tightrope where like she's someone that is very passive in the second half because her character is like getting sick but also she you she's playing it in a way where like you know that she's like smart enough to know that like something's happening that there's a conspiracy against her and like in the first two thirds of the movie i think she you know with very little dialogue is able to establish her character's agency and that like she is like smarter than ernst ernest um is and also like the thing about like she makes comments about already knowing he's he's after her money like she goes into that pretty open-eyed Right, right. And then also she's the one that takes the action of going to Washington, D.C. Um, to get the FBI to get involved in the first place. That was apparently a creation for the movie. That wasn't a, that wasn't in the book, actually. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, I, again, it serves a purpose. It gives it makes her different than she was in the book. I think it's yeah. fun. if you're going to make up something like there are far more egregious ways to make stuff up. Right. In the book, I believe that there was like a like a half um, Osage, half white person, like on behalf of the tribe who went up to D.C., if, if my memory serves me correct. And Molly just kind of copied and pasted into that role is that is that right josh i don't i don't remember that i just remember the, the thing where the, they say they send the white guy that's married to the to the osage woman that they show in the movie i remember that from the book i i, I don't know if there was another dc envoy aside from him but like that yeah, that was, was that that was something that happened i did, I just couldn't remember because it's been it's been six months since i read the book or more than it, eight months since i read the book and again like kind of going back to like scorsese's obsession with like human behavior and why he's like refocusing the narrative um from the point of view of hale and burkhart is the fact that like he's getting at something that's sort of what makes it even more like sinister and duplicitous is that like the osage nation kind of trusted like hale like they have like this very like um again like like molly is married to this guy who is killing her you know mm -hmm. and he, it is a question of whether or not like ernst actually loves her you know he's he just kind of too stupid to like assert his own agency or, or and or and he's letting greed get in the way um but well, that, it, that, that was one of the next things i was gonna ask you guys anyway it was like do they, I mean, and you might have, as a book reader and a non-book reader, maybe you have different perspectives on this, but like, Josh, you feel like they're letting that character off the hook at all or making him too sympathetic? Because it seems like they do try and convey he really might have actually really loved her while at the same time, you know, committing these horrible acts, but maybe that you, that, that can just be a, the way a person is. Yeah, no, like, that's what I, again, I think that's what draws Scorsese into the story is the, that, like, there is that complicated uh, duality to it. Like, I think he is, like, fascinated about whether or not this, like, guy actually loves her. And I don't think it lets him off the hook. I think he understands that humans are complicated, which is, like, you can be drawn to someone, I guess, and also want to steal their money. Um, right. And then, like, is their final con like Molly's final confrontation with him about the insulin towards the end of the movie is devastating. You know, mm -hmm. um, it, it, I, I don't think it's letting him off the hook at all. You know, um, I think it's just like what Scorsese like is like characters. I think that's why the book version where it's focusing on this like white hat, hat hero and Tom White. I think that's not compelling for him because I think that's more black and white you know, versus the story that he did choose to tell. Yeah. As someone that kind of knew the story of Ernest going in, Matt, did you think they like, but like, but like, again, like he, he became more of a character in this. Did you think, you know, they calibrated him in, in the right way as someone that like, you know, had complicated feelings and uh, in, in, in a dubious moral compass, but might've just not been that smart. Did you like the way they kind of actually colored this guy in who, again, as we acknowledge, 
wasn't really that much of a character in the book. Yes. Um, I, I enjoyed uh, Leo's performance. I mean, he's good in everything. Maybe I'm biased at this point, but mm-hmm. um, I, I thought, and, and I don't know if it's more of a Scorsese thing or if it's Leo thing, but I'll attribute it to Scorsese that um, I think for everyone, for everyone in the audience, they knew the three main uh, factors in, in Ernest's life, his love for Molly, his love of wealth and greed, and his fear of his uncle in no mm. particular order. Those, were, in my opinion, were the three like cut and dry biggest factors tormenting him, keeping him going, keeping him, you know, from doing the right thing, keeping him from always doing the wrong thing and just killing the entire Kyle family. I think that it's, I think it, different people will view Ernest differently, but most people will find him to be like a, like a terrible human being. Well, you mentioned the fear of the uncle and I, I said, it's a, it's a good opportunity to talk a little bit about Robert De Niro. It's funny when Josh, Matt and I had like a whole back and forth about after I read the book and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like Hale is like 50 in the book. Like Bobby's old. We already did this thing with the Irishman where he's like playing a younger guy. Like, am I, am I going to buy this? And Matt wasn't that worried. And I was like, I don't know. It's just interesting. Like there's a 25 year age difference between this guy. Are they going to make him try and look like more full of life than he actually was? And I, I mean, this might've been the best Robert De Niro performance in God knows how long. I mean, I, he's, he's insanely great in this movie. Um, so good. I honestly thought he was the MVP out of the mm-hmm. main trio of him, Leo and Lily Gladstone. I thought like he was giving like the performance that was the best in the movie. Yeah, because um, it, one thing he gets really right about the, the character, about about how that guy is written in the book and reported in the book, uh, you know, age notwithstanding is just like his temperament and how even at like some of the most like, parts where you think the guy might become like get like cage rat syndrome because the walls are closing in on him he kind of keeps his cool and tries to and it, it acts really confident on the exterior the whole time but at the same time like one thing that's harder to convey when you're writing a book from like as as just like a, a journalist researching it almost 100 years later like who knows exactly how to convey what that guy was just like in day-to-day conversation and but for a guy to kind of accumulate power and wealth the way he did and to do it through those heinous means, like you, you have to do it with a smile on your face. But at the same time, he's going to convey that this guy is, you know, kind of a monster. And I think there's just like a lot of moments throughout the movie where like you or where he's like saying something in a kind tone of voice. But you can just uh, kind of tell like, man, there's something else going on behind those eyes. It's just it's, it's a really, like really great duplicitous performance. Yeah. Like there's like a Southern preacher vibe. Actually, mm-hmm the um perform like the performance within Scorsese's canon that it most reminded me of is actually the Nero's performance in Cape Fear. I've never seen Cape Fear. Oh man, I haven't seen it either. You guys are missing out. Now I'm probably the only person that would be like, yeah, Cape Fear top five Scorsese. (laughs) 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 But um but like in that movie he's again he has like a much I know like this person's from Oklahoma so kind of debatable whether or not he's from the south but kind of like the southernness to him but also he has that's a very sinister character in that movie and so it's almost like he's playing a more refined like if that character in cape fear was like more respectable like a respectable member of society like that's who um the nero kind of it feels like an evolution of, of that character in my opinion Oh man, I didn't know Cape yeah. Fear. I didn't. I didn't know Cape Fear was like a was was like a lawyer movie kind of. Oh yeah, it's so, definitely Matt, a lawyer. Matt, Matt and I are both lawyers, and we've never seen it. 
man, let's, I, let's I, fire it up for yeah, a future. I, I, I've heard people talk about it uh, before. Okay, I have to rent on Amazon. It's only on Stars or uh, so. But like, uh, but I mean, like, yeah, no, I, I did not know that. So that I, I, that is gonna. I mean, I've not had a lot of time the last couple of years to like watch non-new movies. But like, I mean, that, that that is gonna go pretty high to the top of the watch list the next time I have a little time off. Um, if nothing I mean, else, if yeah. this podcast gets people to see Cape Fear. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my list now for sure <laughs> but you brought up some really good points about de niro's role as hale and i think that um like like josh said i i still stick with my earlier position that the age gap in the book with tom hale being in the in no, i 50s, agree with you i agree with you now i'm not trying to say you're wrong i'm saying you're right yeah yeah the only thing i would say now is that like you know putting our 30 something year old selves into like an 80 year old's body would we really be as greedy as it if we were younger in time like that's the only thing i, I mean like surely he had some relationships with the osage king hale had i'm sure some like legitimate friendships that weren't just tied to head rights and oil money and i feel like thinking about like legacy at that point at that stage of his life i almost wonder if like you know, maybe he was being portrayed as like a 50 year old in the movie. I don't really know. I don't remember. Um, but maybe that would have been a slight difference. Well, how it's like posited like in with like the Nero's age in the movie is that he's more or less like taking like the wealth from the Osage and like making it generational wealth for his like family. You know what I mean? Like, I think like there's a certain um, type of um jealousy like that the whites have in this uh, community where they're like these freaking osage like they just got lucky that they um had their land on this oil like why like you know given how the world works especially at this time in american history like how dare they be like rich um and again like what's kind of interesting about the community is that you're seeing that the osage don't even have full control over their money um, they have to go to the white people to like say, all right, I want to use my money for this. And, you know, and that kind of also gets to like another interesting thing about like, uh, like where it kind of feels in line with other Scorsese films where um, I think he's very fascinated by like worlds that are, you know, what are about what are it's like the gangster underground um, world where you, there's all these rules and these codes that they have to follow or it's like, you know, um, like in his re- movies about religion, where whether it's the Dalai Lama or whether it's like, you know, uh, 19th century New York, like I think he's fascinated by different customs and this well, different world order. And, and I think that's how he's like approaching Oklahoma during this time period and also got- paralleling it with the Tulsa massacre. Well, yes. Well, that, that that is interesting that that happened at a very similar time in the same state. But let me back you up for a second because I was I was gonna I had a I had a separate little part of my notes planned out to like ask you guys about like was this movie actually too long? Because it's obviously a really big talking point whenever you have a movie this long. But you kind of got to one of the areas I was going to talk about with respect to that anyway, and it ties into what Matt was saying about. Um, hey, didn't Hale kind of have like relationships in the community going on way before this? Because the murders don't really start to like the early 1920s and there's a big long digression in the book at one point about like what Hale's role in the community uh like and how he came to be in that community building whatever fortune he initially had so he obviously existed there for some time before the murders really started and 
but at the same time, it seems like he's really tied in with some of the other more insidious elements of the community, which, as Josh touched on, was this guardianship program, where uh, sometime after the, the the Osage became really wealthy from the headrights, some of these the white powers that be in the government like were like uh, kind of declared them a little too incompetent to be able to like manage all this wealth and assigned a lot of them guardians. And you see them kind of ha- you see them in a couple points like having to go to them, you know, in the movie. But I that's one area where it's like. I don't think the movie is too long is what I'll say, but there are certain areas where I think it could have focused at least still spent a little more time. And that is one of them because there's only about two different sequences about the guardians and Josh picked up on it. But if someone's not like paying closer attention and they might just think like, Oh, that person got in a bad deal with the bank or has some issue with a mortgage or something. And that's why this person has some control over it. Like if you didn't, if you didn't really know what you were watching, if you didn't really know the story that well, I would forgive you for you not understanding what is going on in those couple of scenes where you see people arguing with them. And you see Henry, before before he before his death later in the movie kind of get mad because they won't let him like buy alcohol or something like that and uh and he's like really upset about it but like it's it's not clear that how systemic that part of it is and like and just how deep that and how deep that system runs and how messed up it is that they really don't act oh so many of them don't have control over their wealth and you see molly a couple times too like asking about that too but like the same time you don't understand that this is like something that's like pervasive throughout that community as opposed to just molly needing to potentially check with someone about like managing her finances or something like that it's not that clear i think they could have spent a little more time on that uh when you when when you are when you have 320 three three hours and 26 minutes to work with a little more time could have been spent on that though i'm not sure what the best most um um, uh, seamless way to do that is without like having it just be really clunky exposition. Uh, but you know, that, that was a, a kind of a thought I had. It seemed like you might've had the same thought, Matt. Yes. Completely agree with your points, Josh. Um, I thought it was a, a, a plot hole um, compared to some of the other parts of uh, explaining the head rights, for example, up front um, and other facts, which were necessary to explain in the, in the first act of the movie. Um it kind of begs the question, why even show those scenes uh, and not fully explain the role of the guardians? Because there wasn't a full explanation when, when, for example, Molly goes up and, and, and states that she is incompetent, then she gets this money from, from the bank or the, the respective department of the local government. And, and going back to the book real quickly, everybody was in cahoots. It wasn't just King Hale. It was also the banker. It was also the insurance people. It was also the general store owner. You know, everybody was in cahoots among the white community in Fairfax. And that wasn't really explained. Also, that was my like number one plot hole. And also another reason why I wanted that like sinister mystery whodunit a little bit more than the standard Western and the dialogue between the the married couple. That, That was a big part of um, I thought what was the the number one plot hole in the entire movie. I was gonna push back that like it's not um like mentioned when like like for instance on the guardians thing, I'll admit like this is somewhat like blinking, you'll miss it, but like one of the guardians um uh is also like a member of the KKK. And then also like you see that guy is also part of like the jury on the Burkhardt trial as well. Like I and then like it's very clear that the doctors are being paid by Hale to like give this like fake medicine to like Molly. Um I think it's I think throughout the movie it, it's pretty obvious like the whites in the community are are in on like what's going on. And I think Part of the reason why maybe it's not exactly 100% spelled out is like, again, like I think Scorsese is trying to engross us in the world. And then also like little bit by little bit, like I think he wants us to feel just kind of unsettled by like 
right? So why is she having to ask for money? Or like, just like, kind of like, you know, you're entering the strange world and like, it's working on rules that like, don't necessarily make sense to us. And so that we like, as like a 21st century contemporary art audience, feel a little bit unsettled by what's going on, just as sort of like the characters are in a weird way. I know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't, I, that's why I was saying I, I didn't necessarily want to go too hard on them for it because I, I do think there's ways to, you probably could explain it more, but at the same time, you don't necessarily want to do like all the same title cards they did at the beginning again because that just, and that, that's just like, oh, it seems like too much of a shortcut almost. So I, I when I, I don't want to knock them too much for it when I don't have like an elegant, easier way to have necessarily done it off, off the top of my head. Um, We talked a lot about already about a little bit about Hale and Ernest and some about Molly, but again, like, in some ways, even if like, you know, it is kind of from Hale and Ernest's perspective, they do definitely center Molly's family a lot more. And we haven't really talked that much about them yet and how there's, first of all, there's this other character named, uh, named Bill, uh, I forgot what's Bill's last name. Um, Bill Smith, right? Uh, yeah. Bill Smith, who, uh, played by, by Jason Isbell, a country music singer. Uh, it's interesting casting cause he's in this as his, uh, as his Sturgill Simpson, but Bill Smith is there and he's, it's, it's interesting. He's like trying to kind of work his way and worm his way into this family. Cause he marries two of the sisters at various points. Uh, he's a rogue a, agent, just a greedy guy on his own. <laughs> yeah. J- just as Ernest is. And, uh, but at the same time, you do get a lot of scenes of that family at various points up until, you know, uh, Bill becomes even suspicious of, um, uh, Bill becomes like, actually becomes pretty suspicious of Ernest's role in the, in, in the whole thing, even before the, even before the bombing. Um, I'm, I'm wondering like, you go, you know, guys like Matt, like how, what did you think about like, whether it be like the, just the performances of the different people within Molly's family or just like how Scorsese kind of like got you into their world and kind of had a peek inside of what their daily lives are like in another way. That's like uh, something where they really kind of had to imagine it a little bit more than like what they just had on the page in the book. I thought Scorsese did a great job of explaining the Kyle family and Mm -hmm. um, of course the symbolism with the, I believe the death of her father with the owl and mother mother, was it the mother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With the owl. And then when Molly was on her. um, Yeah. That was, that was a real oh shit moment. That was a real oh shit moment in, in my theater when the owl came back. Exactly. Yeah. I thought, I mean, there, there were scenes throughout before the wedding with Ernest and after the wedding, uh, there, there was plenty of time spent on the Kyle family and it, it didn't really move the needle one way for me or another. Like I, I can't point to a specific scene where I was like, wow, I learned a lot about the Osage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just having them be at least for the first act of the movie and, and toward the second act to uh, focal point, rather than just being all about the, the Hale family or, or the white community, I thought it was necessary, but it, it nothing really particularly stood out to me for, for their commentary. Oh, yeah. And I like, Oh, and like the one of the members of the ensemble uh, uh, that like stood out to me, and I wish maybe we had a little bit more time with her, uh, was that uh, actress playing Molly's like you know Anna. Uh, promiscuous like sister, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought like her little storyline, and you see like ooh something's gonna go wrong. <laughs> and Hale even says like you know with her mouth, you know it was predictable, you know. Um, but one thing I wanted to go back to, like uh, when it came to like the pacing of the movie, uh, was the fact that for despite the fact that it's three and a half hours long, I didn't actually feel like, you know, I think that's kind of the magic of Scorsese and his editor, uh, Thelma Schoomaker, where, again, like this is not like 
the first three hour Scorsese movie now. Um, and I don't really feel like the length of his, like, you know, I felt like the movie was deliberate, but then you also have like the very kinetic, like editing style when like you're going through like the murders and stuff like that. Um, and just like the craft of the film, like for instance, I, like I really thought the score of the film by uh, the late Robbie uh, Robertson, um, one of Scorsese's longtime pals and former member of the band. I thought like the score did a lot in terms of establishing the mood, but also like helping with the pacing as well. As far as far as as far as like the the length of it, like I actually did feel the length. Like I again, like I I I, I said I, I hesitate to say like the movie itself was too long because like I would have been fine with the movie being that long. I there's just other things I wish it would have like you know done with its different parts of the runtime but like i did especially on the second viewing for some reason and it might have been more my fault because i literally was the like one of like two people in my theater i think and on my second viewing there's one person like three rows in front of me and that was it so i had license to take my phone out and take notes and maybe it was because i had my phone out that like i got distracted a couple times on my phone and it happened more like in the second half of the movie i don't know why like there's just certain parts where i couldn't tell you why it is it, it, it just it, my mind started to wonder when i already had my phone out anyway it's like oh maybe i'll check that football score or something like that and i did that a time or two and i felt really bad about it but i couldn't help it and it's like you know maybe there are different things they could have like put in that second half second half of the movie if like that would have just like kept my attention a little more like i found myself i did one area where i did find my mind wondering was like when hale b burnt his house down for the insurance money like that goes on forever and it's like they've already made it clear he's like very very like greedy and i don't know if i necessarily needed that 10 minute like part of the movie to like be devoted to that at that point like i could have like even if like i don't need it to be even if i'm not saying make it the detective movie or mystery movie that um matt and i were talking about earlier i could have still used more tom white in this movie because i'm never going to say no to more jesse plummets and i thought jesse plummets is great but like just oh, didn't yeah. have a lot to do and I, it's like i i could have yeah. had a, a handful more scenes just with him even if like the mystery did unfold exactly as it did in the movie i still would have minded having more of him in the second half of the movie as opposed to some other parts that might have just dragged a little for me Right. Oh yeah! I, By the way, like Clemens, like killed his interrogation scene with mm -hmm. DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was like, like at that in that moment, he's like, again, he's doing very little, but making like a whole meal out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did a great job. I wanted also, I agree with Josh Jernovi uh, on that too. Like, uh, I wanted more of the FBI team. Is it okay to call them the FBI team if it sure. is not yet? Um, I guess Bureau of Investigations yet. or whatever. What would they call themselves at that point? The Bureau of Investigation, but that's Something. it, maybe. Yeah, I'm just gonna use a term of art and call them the FBI guys, even if Hoover didn't uh, necessarily <laughs> brand them that way. But um, I have a little different perspective on the length of the movie. Yeah, I didn't think it was too long. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think I was getting bored in it. I actually wanted more. And I almost like initially when I left the theater, I told my wife this, I was like, you know, I almost wish that this was like a like a two parter, like with a sequel, rather than just like one three hour 30 minute movie. And she didn't really agree with me. Mm -hmm. I, I assume like most people will not, but it, it kept me wanting more. Maybe that's because I read the damn book and I wanted everything fleshed out. And I, I wanted all the questions in my head on what happened to those age or what, what's going on with the oil. You know, like I, I just had all these questions leaving the theater. And also I think totally agree. I wanted more Jesse Plemons. I wanted more of the FBI guys. Um, I even wanted more of the Kyles too, because looking back, that's like, something I didn't really remember. Like I liked the footage of them and all the scenes with them, but nothing really stood out to me. The wedding scene, the scenes at their house. Um, 
I remember the scenes with Anna, but it just it left me wanting more. And I think that's probably the sign of a good movie at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah, but it sounds like you guys think that Scorsese should take a page out of the Marvel playbook and <laughs> make this his Infinity War endgame. <laughs> um, and actually, like, yeah, like, uh, like maybe the movie just cuts when it's like, oh, half the Osage is gone. Will they return <laughs> in Killers of the Flower Moon Part 2? But- I'm, I'm more of a Marvel guy than you, but I did not like the end of Infinity War. I'll say that right now. <laughs> um, I, he's more of a Marvel guy than Scorsese. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, funny. That's um, funny. But um, it's kind of interesting, though. Like, it, it, like one thing with the, like these this and the Irishman is like and a certain extent like silence is that like Scorsese is taking these streamers uh, well this and Irishman with Netflix uh funding uh, Irishman and Apple funding this movie he's taking these streamers like money like this costs 200 million dollars and then he's like unloading like a three-hour plus epic in theaters and it's also like Marty have you heard of miniseries um <laughs> right that's what they did with the Irishman on Netflix right or no 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 Maybe I, I said there was just a lot of talk around when the Irish Pain came out about the right where to stop if you want to divide it up into four parts. I don't know if they actually ever officially did that like they did with like, you know, the uh, Hateful Eight or whatever. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was kind of like an unofficial. Uh, well, I think Netflix like gave a suggestion if you wanted to like watch it as like a miniseries. But uh, but yeah, like this actually I think in other hands, this could have been a miniseries. So I'm kind of I completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. But I'm kind of glad we have like a three hour plus like Scorsese epic in in, in theaters, you know, um, um, I like again, like he he's someone that can use that canvas very well. So I was never really like, again, like I think there's a version of this movie that's more centered on the Osage and it would have been interesting to like explore like um passages with like uh molly's sister more but having said that i was satisfied and then like i even like the courtroom drama aspect where like brendan fraser comes in i know like he's given a polarizing performance in this movie but i thought he was very good like him and that that, that was the next thing i was gonna ask you is that like matt matt is a lawyer josh you're known to like a lawyer uh movie every now and then uh and i've I've seen some critics saying well yeah the first two thirds of this movie are great but it really falls off when it becomes a courtroom drama do you do you disagree with that josh no i think it was fine as a courtroom drama and i did like the theatricality of Lithgow and, and Frazier's performance um, and it's kind of funny and apparently this happened in real life like the real life transcript is basically Burkhart like being like no that guy is not my lawyer but I'll kind of take him up on what he's <laughs> telling me to do right now um, but yeah like I, I thought again it's one of those things that it does feel like by the time they get to it I will say that it feels like they're kind of like all right, we got to like wrap this stuff up. Like it's something that feels a little bit more shortchanged because of the tight constraints of it being a movie. But that being said, I, I was fine with it. Like, um, and it was just kind of in at that point, I think it's really in the last third of the film where it becomes how apparent like um, Burkhart, like how dumb he actually is, how easily manipulated he is by both like Hale and the FBI, the, um, you know, testified uh, and stuff like that. Like, like uh, Plemons, like even says like, yeah, no, I think your uncle took advantage of you given your like demeanor or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. whereas like before I just thought like, He's not like the brightest of bright guys or whatever. But by then it's like, oh, he might be like intellectually disabled. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, yeah. What, I um. What 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 did you think about that part of the movie, Matt? I liked how there was uh, a courtroom scene or, or set of scenes uh, in in the final act of the movie. I did not like Brendan Fraser's performance. Um, not necessarily his dialogue or his theatricality um, in his uh, initial objections or motions in limine, whatever you have. But I, I think that Brendan Fraser was not the correct actor to play the role of W.S. Hamilton. Going to John Lithgow before I go back to Brendan Fraser, John Lithgow was fine. You know, he doesn't have a relevant Oklahoma accent or Texas accent or Southern mm -hmm. accent. Why? Why is that? That's because he's probably a U.S. attorney from D.C. or somewhere else or from mm -hmm. Chicago or somewhere else like that. So he was believable to me because he presumably represented the federal government against King Hale and against Burkhardt and, and whomever. Everybody was in cahoots. He should have been prosecuting everybody. Um, but John Lithgow to me was totally believable. And I thought he he crushed it. As for Frazier, he has no relevant accent. His, his lines were fine, but my understanding is Brendan Fraser is not from the South or the West. He's Canadian, right? Uh, is Brendan Fraser from Canada? Nothing yeah, against Canadians. Canadian. Okay. Like, I, I totally, you know, like Margot Robbie can perform any role she wants. She's great. But I, I just didn't buy him there. And like Hale, who would Hale hire? He has all this money. He's going to hire somebody good. Presumably from, I guess, Kansas City, Oklahoma City, Dallas. Where is this guy coming from? Like, it didn't make any sense to me. And I was I was kind of stuck on that. It's not that I was like seeing like George of the Jungle or something when Brendan Fraser was talking. <laughs> but, you know, I just I didn't buy his role. As for the the previous point I made, I thought that the the, the courtroom scenes were good. But if it was like a, a mini series or a two parter with a sequel, that's where it could have been like a. Uh, more of a full-blown trial in a way and then we can see like the all-white jury back with like really soft sentences for the Burkhardt or Hale not that it was necessary but I could see that being played out and played out well but um, again that's just like a, a small nit but all in all I thought the courtroom scenes were good the only thing I would criticize is Brendan Fraser's performance which it, it appears that other other people saw it the same way yeah but I don't blame him as much for that because like I've, I if that wasn't what Martin Scorsese wanted him to do I don't think he would have done it you know yeah. I think he probably told him to play it that way yeah, no, I, I, to me, it felt like Frazier like knew the assignment, and also it seems like, yeah. like, you know, like there's also like this 1920s like, uh, aspect of it where like you know if you go back to like say like the Scopes trial, which was maybe like a few decades before, like it's very theatrical. Like, like I, 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 I thought I thought Frazier was fine. I thought he did the assignment, you know. Um, and I'm saying this as someone who didn't see the whale. And I know people like hate that movie and stuff. So like, I, I don't know. But like, I thought Frasier was good. Um, the only thing I would kind of say a little bit, like my one critique about like this movie in terms of like, say the craft of it is that I kind of like, I think it's probably historically accurate, like the production design and stuff like that. But like, to me, that's a little bit like less interesting I think like I wish like the world was the more ex world was more expressionistic. Now I understand like they're telling like a true life story, but I just kind of you know a, a weird film that I think like is kind of parallel in Scorsese's filmography um, to this movie, and I like this movie more than the one I'm going to compare it to. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very close to like Gangs of New York because it's both like exploring like this past 
in American history that is like centered on greed, xenophobia, um, and, and, and violence and, and how that like shaped the country that we ultimately became. Um, but like, I don't know. And like a gangs of New York, if, if that one has like a much more operatic edge to it in like the period design and here, um, the production design by J legendary production designer, Jack Fisk, who did there will be blood and days of heaven. Um, it just felt like it felt like it was accurate, but like, not like interesting in, in, in a creative way is sort of like my one critique. However, the one element time where like i think like the production design actually gets to like an interesting surreal element is the scene where robert de niro is spanking um leonardo dicaprio say, yeah. and like you see these like checkered like black and white floors and it's just a very sinister masonic like uh imagery like being displayed you know i thought i mean well i thought that the uh i i mean i don't know i thought i thought the production design was pretty immaculate throughout like it, they did a really great job of um to, to me of just like creating that community and making it and paying a lot of great attention to detail and just making it feel like a, a totally legit place. I mean, they shot on location, but like they obviously had to create a lot of these sets for the movie. And I thought they, I thought they, I thought they did a pretty superb job. Um, oh, and, and by the way, like other one thing I would say though, is like, I do like the surreal elements. Like when one of the Osages um, is dying and you kind of see like, like their image to like their spiritual life, which I think it's like, yeah. In keeping, that was really cool. Yeah, like it's in keeping with like Scorsese's like religious like curiosity that's present throughout all of his films, but also the scene where like it gets really surreal when um uh Molly is like having like a fever dream or you don't know of like Hale in her room talking to her uh and like there's like fire outside the windows and stuff. I I kind of like like when the movie tilted its way and those more surreal imagery trying we'll go back and talk about any other odds and ends we didn't cover but i, I am really curious to know matt how, how, did, how did you feel about uh the last two sequence scenes of this movie one being where uh it, it, it kind of jumps ahead in time to like some kind of 1960s radio show where they're kind of acting this out in a play format but then martin scorsese who i guess is playing the producer of this radio show in the 60s comes up and gives his own little speech about what happened to the Osage. And then uh, luckily they had the sense to end on actual images of the Osage people. But I mean, that is also another different kind of creation uh, separate from the book. Uh, how did you feel about, uh, how did you feel about that? Just going so off the beaten path for how they ended this film. Yeah. I, well, I'll take it in reverse order. I also really enjoyed that final scene is the, the dancing around the flower moon and that like field of flowers. That was really cool. Um, goes to show like, I guess, like the human spirit triumphs over corruption and, and uh, exploitation of the Osage, right. In a way that, that they weren't like just some sort of uh, destroyed tribe of native Americans. I, I like that. Um, as for the, I think it was like the lucky strike radio show. <laughs> um that was that was really cool i um i don't recall seeing uh like some sort of scene like that giving background information and, and closing the loop rather than just like the uh what are those like paragraphs on the screen describing what happened like 30 years later to the defendants the the or whatever. yeah yeah like i i really preferred the lucky strike aspect even <laughs> though it added like eight minutes to the movie or something it was it was really cool i i, I liked seeing also scorsese's cameo in it um it did um 
I guess the nerd in me wanted to know a little bit more about like what happened to the oil rights? How bad did it become? Like, what is the percentage of, you know, the, the, the oil reserves still going to the, the, the Osage? What happened to their, their wealth? Was it generational wealth? I assume no, but I, I really want to know the state of them. And, and basically like, I assume everything turned out bad for the Osage. And which goes to show why they need reparations and, and why they need this and that and, and how they the, the federal government should have intervened much sooner and intervened on, on, a, on a more full force. And, and those were the, some things I wish were in the Lucky Strike. But all in all, I really like both um, of those of those scenes you mentioned. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of the. Um... It's been. I think it's been a little longer since you read the book than when I read the book. I they definitely make it clearer in that in that final segment of the book where David Grant is going back there that like the, the oil's all dried up, and I think so. At some point, it wasn't like they were going to be able to live off those riches forever, but like some level of generational wealth was obviously stolen from them in the twenties, and that and and that's and 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 yes. Yeah, so I, I don't disagree on the reparations uh, point. Uh, Josh, uh, what were you to say? Oh, I in the ending of the film with the lucky strike uh uh epilogue like that's probably the thing that like um has stayed with me the most since i saw the movie um because it, it's such a surprising ending um no pun and, intended but it also feels very earnest like it, it doesn't feel like it, I, I, I thought it was well done yeah yeah and like the thing about it is i think it's sort of like scorsese sort of preempting like the criticisms of this movie about is this like his story to tell which is like here, like it's basically, you know, we're transitioning to the FBI, like propaganda of it, like where they're basically um, with the lucky strike, you know, this is something that the FBI did to sell um, the public on, you know, um, their heroism, um, despite like how complicated the history of the FBI actually is. And so I think like, he, by ending the movie the way he does, I think he's sort of getting to the point of like the stories we tell of our history in America and who gets to tell them is always somewhat like complicated and it's always sanitized and stuff like that, you know? And yeah, and then also sort of like, you know, when he ends it, it ends it with like him telling us that like when Molly died, like there was no mention of the murders, like you know i think there's you know a creepy resonance of that you know like i think it, the ending of the movie gets to you know are we whitewashing like this story you know um and i think it's just like an incredible overhead shot of the osage in their ritual yeah it's like and like i think i touched on earlier like i think I've seen like interviews and quotes on social media from certain Osage leaders or uh, and 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 things of that nature who did get to collaborate some with Marty and like it's clear that like they they a lot of them like are making it clear like yeah I think there's an, a version of this movie that centers us even more that I might like but like all of them at the same time in every in the same breath whenever they make that point they're like very respectful very respectful towards him so I do think like they 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 they, they it seems like Marty did about as best as he could to like collaborate with that community and not just come in and be the ignorant white guy just trying to capitalize on the story. So I, I do think he that, that he's like an 80-something year old, you know, white guy that's been in the business for 50 years and has more clout than any filmmaker. This is a testament to the fact that he didn't just like, you know, uh walk in there like he owned the place. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's my understanding that he like he and Eric Roth like they wrote a script, but it was too white savior 
um, focused and two white people focused. And then he like rewrote. Right. That's, yeah, they, they tore, yeah. They tore up the version that were Tom White was going to be centered, I think, you know. Right. Sorry. What were you going to say, Josh? Oh, no. Like how you're describing it about like um, 80 year old Martin Scorsese being respectful towards the indigenous people. I was like, I want to like do like a, an offensive, stereotypical Italian American accent. Be like, Marty, are you going woke on us? Like, <laughs> I, I, I thought I thought you were going to say you, 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 you need me to put a link to the um, to the cry macho episode in the show notes just so people can get a get, get a non-engineering example of that. You know, uh, uh, Matt. Any anything else about the movie? Any other uh, supporting performances or scenes or anything else that you that you, that really struck you and stuck with you that you wanted to highlight or touch on before you wrapped up that we didn't already ask you about? I think um uh, since this is my first time on the program here, yeah. it might sound like I'm being like perhaps too critical of what was not in the movie rather than uh, analyzing what was in the movie. Um, I really enjoyed it. Two thumbs up, you know, rest in peace, Roger Ebert, you know, Siskel, mm-hmm. you know, two thumbs way up for this movie for me. Going back to the supporting characters, mm-hmm. Tom White, Jesse Plemons, the, his team, which infiltrated Fairfax from um, the native American agent who was in the pool hall playing pool with Ernest um, and, and like the insurance broker who was working on behalf of DC I wanted to know a lot more about how they got the intel that they got and not to make it totally like, you know, cops and robbers or like, you know, total mystery or too procedural in a way. But um, I wanted a little bit more on that. And if there's three hours and 30 minutes, there could have been more time devoted to that, not to sacrifice from the Osage, from Lily's family, from Molly's family, the Burke, uh, the, the Kyle's, um, but somewhere I think they could have cut more minutes and devoted them to that team. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think there's a there were a few moments in my first viewing, and maybe it was me just not taking it all in as well as I could have because I was just overwhelmed with everything that came at me on the first viewing. But I, I did spend some of the first viewing thinking that like some of the they, they kind of filled in some of the holes to the mystery in the in the second act when it was like unclear where they where they were. Maybe it was part of the courtroom scenes, but I was like, oh, it seems like they're like kind of filling in a lot of the gaps as to what happened pretty easily without being clear like how they got to the bottom of it. Though at the same time, maybe it's not really that much of a mystery because I think a big point is like it wasn't that hard for the FBI guys to figure it out. They they kind of they're kind of right on the case from the get go as soon as they get there because these guys were not exactly the most careful. This whole sloppy. There's a whole thing about no, I said shoot him in the front of the head, so it was a suicide, not the back of the head. What like and like there's a lot of that. It's like these guys just weren't really good at what they did. So it's not that shocking that someone could actually prove up their case in court. Though it's a little depressing when you have the postscripts at the end where it's like, yeah, you know, like Ernest and Hale got convicted for stuff, but they didn't even spend the rest the rest of their life in prison, even though like they were basically you know serial killers. Uh, By the way, like Ernest lived to like the 1980s. Yeah, he he lived he lived a long time, and it was just like, but like, uh, such an odd existence. They basically just said in the movie, yeah, he just like hung out with Byron in a trailer park, uh, yeah. for, like for a lot of the rest of his life. But like, he he you're you're like yes, but you are right. Like he 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 was around well after a lot of the events of this movie because you know that's the other funny thing about the age thing. Like you know, uh, he because like you said, he lived to the eighties, like into his eighties. But that means this movie takes place in the twenties. So like Leonardo DiCaprio, who's forty eight years old, is supposed to be playing like a twenty four year old or something. Um, but you know, it, it, and it, what's it up still with works. that too about the twenties? It's the Roaring Twenties. Like people were making money everywhere, everywhere, not just on Wall Street. You know, not just in Chicago. Like the the, the people who infiltrated Fairfax just to make a buck off the Osage. Really, they couldn't make money through. Well, Ernest, means. Ernest was just Ernest was too dumb to be an effective carpetbagger. I think that's kind of you know part of the point. <laughs> or just make money on the cattle ranch of <laughs> King Hale. You know, there were so many other ways to make money. 
Yeah, well, I mean, these guys were dumb, and they saw an easy way to do it through murder, sadly. Um, uh, Josh, any other other th- anything you didn't get to talk about, or anything about the movie I didn't ask you about that you wanted to bring up before you wrapped up? Well, like I think it's also important to note that, like, since this is like the first time that Scorsese's two most important like acting collaborators have been in the same movie together uh, under his watch uh DiCaprio and De Niro and so it's kind of like interesting to see them play off of each other because it's sort of like Scorsese heat I guess (laughs) (laughs) like his two you know and these two actors that are generations uh apart and just kind of completely different vibes as leading men um but you know like they had good chemistry um but yeah like I think we pretty much like touched on all the stuff that like um was worth touching on yeah, I don't even know if I really got that deep into like any of the performances myself. Uh, but I, I, that was the last thing I would touch on too. Is that like, like we, I think we all praised De Niro a lot. I hope he gets the best supporting actor nomination. Uh, it's just a, a great sinister performance that he he brought it in a way that just, as I said, I just haven't seen him do it in some time. Like there are so many moments in this movie, like the, where where Molly announces her last pregnancy. Like he like really isn't happy about that. Like I think one, it's like this is fucking up my plans. You don't need to be having more heirs. Too, he thinks it's a little weird that like you know that Ernest might have been having sex with Molly when she's been drugged up so he's a little like oh, confused by that he's just like but he's like and the saying racism. that yeah all of it and he's he's saying all he, like he's clearly troubled by all that but at the same time he's not like saying it out you're not like saying it out loud to her when she breaks the news but you can just see it on his face like he just did such a great job of acting in this movie and uh and and, and like I don't even know if we talked that much about Leo's performance but like I mean it is good I I, I feel like some people have found some reference points for it but I mean he's been bad he's been a bad guy in movies before but I don't know if he's ever been like quite this dumb while being a bad guy I thought it was a different kind of it was a unique performance from him like you know I think you know Rick Dalton wasn't um, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wasn't smart, but like, you know, it was still a different kind of like performance where he's playing somewhat of a a movie star. Like here, he's just like a, you know, a little bit of a country bumpkin with jacked up teeth and uh, and but like, you know, finds a way to weasel his way into a different world. But despite not being that smart, like I thought it was a different kind of character for him to tackle when, you know, and I and and I appreciate and I I appreciated him like, you know, pushing himself to play a guy that was that complicated. Actually, that's true. Oh, you kind of touched upon like like the one observation I would say about mm-hmm. like it being DiCaprio versus De Niro mm-hmm. is the fact that like um yeah De Niro is like a type of actor that's very famous for you know saying very little like being able to convey a lot of emotion through like his eyes right like in those very like sinister like De Niro eyes right like in that scene that you uh mentioned whereas like what was kind of funny one thing that like Scorsese said like in an interview was that um yeah DiCaprio like would improvise a lot and sometimes it wouldn't work and me and De Niro would just roll our eyes <laughs> um but like I think that is sort of like a weird dichotomy between the two where it's like yeah like DiCaprio is like a much more verbal performer and also his relationship to Scorsese you know whereas like I think De Niro and Scorsese are more like two like-minded peers of the same generation and like they both got famous like together whereas like DiCaprio is much more like too eager to please like this master you know what I mean and that's kind of like his performance like that's his character with Hale like his relationship with Hale is like him trying to please this master and I guess it's somewhat reflective of his relationship to Scorsese yeah and going back to um uh from from De Niro to DiCaprio real fast uh 
if we were to flip Jesse Plemons and Leo DiCaprio, and if Leo played, you know, FBI Tom White, would it have been a weaker movie? I would argue probably not. I think the movie still would have stood on the strength of the plot and the strength of those respective actors in those different roles. But um, I'm, I'm happy personally that Leo picked the role of Ernest rather than Tom to challenge himself because I also can't recall any kind of parallel role in, in the past. Calvin Candy was different. Um, all his other villains are different. It might have been like a better movie, honestly, because it's like you could totally see like Clemens like killing this role. Especially and, after yeah. seeing what he did, especially after what he did in Power of the Dog. Like, you know. Yeah. And and then also the other fact too is like there Breaking is bad. Some, and there's some like I think there's some work on the audience part too, where it's like, yeah, like the DiCaprio's putting on like fake teeth and like, you know, um, and we're kind of like work doing a little bit of work of pretending like, all right, this is not like one of the most like handsome movie stars, uh, like Mm -hmm. of his generation is he's now like a country bumpkin or whatever. Like we're, we're doing a little bit of the work there. Whereas I think with Plemons, he could play like, like that guy, like more naturally. Right. And in fact, I feel like the ages of those respective actors probably make more sense with Leo playing Tom White, more of like a seasoned detective, even though the FBI hasn't been established for that long. And then Ernest, Jesse coming back from World War One, want you know, hasn't been married yet. I think Jesse Plemons is around my age. What Leo is what, almost 50 years old? Um so no, no, I mean, no, 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 he's like he's dating twenty-five year olds, so he has to be like in his <laughs> no, no, Jesse Plemons is married to Kirsten Dunst. No, well, well, Jesse is younger than Kirsten Dunst, right? Oh uh, yeah, I, sorry, I, mean, I might have misheard you. I thought you said he'd never been married before. Uh, no, no, I meant Ernest in the movie. Oh, 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 gotcha. Yeah, gotcha, this gotcha, is gotcha. first marriage and yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah. So I, I assume Ernest wasn't much older than thirty, if anything. Yeah, being no, played he, by he, Leo. Yeah, yeah no, like he, you know, you know, Ernest, Ernest is supposed to be in his twenties. He's at the beginning of the movie. He's just come back from World War One. Like, exactly. So that's why I was saying, like, also, if Jesse played that character, I think it would have been just fine. And he has yeah, the yeah, acting yeah. chops to portray someone who's internally conflicted as much as Ernest. No, yeah, I, de- I, def- I definitely think it would have worked. It's an interesting what if. And like I said, I was excited when it, w- it would have been odd to see like Leo in a supporting role because he really hasn't been in one since like uh, Django Unchained. Uh, but like, you know, I at this and like I was excited when I th- when I when I kind of thought those were what the roles were going to be. And Jesse Plumas is getting a shot to lead a Scorsese movie. But no, it's all the same. Like it worked. It worked fine. And like the, the performance is really good. But yes, it would be fascinating to kind of see it, see it reverse a bit at the same time. I do not disagree there. And you know, like uh, Plemons had to like drop out of Nope, where he was playing the Stephen Young character's role. I'd forgotten. I I remember he was initially announced in that, but I didn't know what role. But like, I, I'm glad it. I'm glad that worked out the way it did. Yeah, I think that. I think that. I think that about covers it, guys. I, I, I again, I think we all really enjoyed this movie, even if it in some ways it wasn't what we were expecting, or it. Uh, and and I think we all took a lot from it. And you know, even if we had our, uh, even if we had like our, you know, our criticisms here and there, it seems like Josh, uh, Matt, and I all left really satisfied. And I recommend everyone. Check Check this out because uh or, or or just like you know i doubt anyone listened to this point if they haven't already seen it but you know if you have any family members you know just let them know it's coming on uh, coming out on apple tv plus and you know help marty uh help marty like you know make apple feel like you know their their investment was warranted because this isn't no, going to no, make no, back no. the two Marty bankrupt more streamers like that. That, 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 no i don't want him to bankrupt them i want them to keep funding him <laughs> no, I just want him to keep going. Like next one, Amazon, give Marty three hundred million dollars. <laughs> well, and the thing is, like his next four-hour movie. Yeah, his next project is another David Grand book, yeah, which it's is like, like the shipwreck book, right? Yeah, 
It hasn't come out yet. Yeah, but... he, he's going to need more than two hundred million for that. I mean, come on, <laughs> um, uh, Matt. The, the, uh, what we always do at the end of this podcast is I ask people to recommend other stuff they've been watching recently. I'll give you a second to think about that, and I'll go to Josh. Josh, anything TV, movie wise, or you've been watching recently that you'd like to plug for the listeners? Well, you know, okay. So lately, I've been going back to the movies mm-hmm. now, and um, also in theaters this year. Which, by the way, maybe you guys could do this one as lawyers. Um, Anatomy of a Fall, like mm-hmm. great movie great movie um, i don't know if it's gotten to me yet anywhere i'm jealous that you you already saw it i don't know if it's playing around here so yeah josh you're gonna love it it's a great courtroom drama and and then like the other movie i saw like in terms of the award season stuff is the holdovers which is about like a teacher uh and so like you know i'll come on there i'll bring the pain for alexander hmm. King. If, if anatomy of falls anywhere near as good as anatomy of a murder i'll be really happy because anatomy of a murder is a great movie um, oh, dude, you're gonna freaking love Anatomy of a Fall, then. Okay, good, good, good to know. Uh, Matt, anything you've been watching recently? It can be a TV show, it can be a, it can be a movie, it can be like a an interview you saw somewhere. It can be literally anything you consumed recently elsewhere in media. Anything else you've been watching that you would you think is a good thing to recommend? Uh, well, so basically, right now I'm held captive by my fantasy football and fantasy basketball teams. So <laughs> all of my disposable free time has been watching either. Sunday night football or Monday night football uh, or, or the, the, the start of this 2023, 2024 NBA season, your Sixers, by the way, you know, finally traded away James Harden. So that could be, you know, good to watch the, the rise of a star, you know, stars born in a way for Tyrese Maxey. So Sixers games, I recommend watching them. They might be pretty good with Nick nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, as for TV miniseries, uh, movies, interviews, I don't have anything that I've been watching. Um, my wife and I have been watching Dancing with the Stars. I do not recommend watching that. So PSA, do not yeah. watch this. No shame. This I, I, hey, I, I, I've watched Dancing with the Stars before. I mean, I, I, parents, I go in and out on it, but I've watched it. It's good. Yeah, my parents love Dancing with the Stars. So I, I always agree. enjoy cheering for like the, the, the older actresses that go on because it's like you haven't really had, had a chance to shine <laughs> in years. Hollywood is unfair to them. It seems like they're going yeah. to they're, they're enjoying it. So I always I, I always get invested with them. Um, man, yeah. yeah, man, I just pulled off Fandango, Josh. I actually, we'll we'll talk about that after. I, I have some choices to make this weekend at the movie theater. Um, I I don't know if I have a ton of uh, a ton of new stuff to recommend myself. I you know I started Bad Sisters on on Apple. Speaking of Apple products, it's the show that came out last year with a Sharon or Sharon Horgan about like five like four sisters that may or may not have killed their fifth sister's husband. But like I don't I don't know what the actual results. I don't actually know everything. That, I've only watched the first episode. It's just implied that's where things are heading, and there's a whole life insurance component to that. Uh, and I don't know, it seems interesting. And, you know, I, as I've been uh, joking with some people offline, you know, there's a lot of stuff on Apple TV plus that they just don't really market that well. I mean, this one obviously is, uh, um, you know, uh, floors, killers, the fire moons, obviously getting plenty of publicity, but there's a lot of TV shows on there. And like, I, you can't really go wrong with the, with the, with anything that Sharon Horgan's involved in. So, you know, bad sister seems kind of funny, but also possibly dark, but I'm only one episode in, but I haven't watched a lot of new stuff in the last week anyway. So I can't really like. I can't really recommend much other than that. Um, yeah, I'm really interested in two movies coming out later this year, though. Napoleon, mm-hmm. number one, mm-hmm. and um, Napoleon and American Fiction. So mm-hmm. excited to watch those two movies. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't have the release dates up for those, but those are both ones that are going to be a big players. I think Napoleon might be an Apple. Is it Napoleon an Apple one, too? Like that's yeah. a similar release. Yeah. So yeah. that could be a thing that's going to get be in theaters and then all of a sudden like jump to Apple at some point, if I remember correctly. So Ridley Scott, they released the four hour director. Cut oh, yeah. Apple. 
Apple, just funding the old guys. So, you know, if, if Marty didn't bankrupt them, you know, maybe, maybe, except, except Ridley's kind of the opposite. Ridley works fast, you know? Um, so, <laughs> no, you know so. Okay. You know, okay. Low key. I don't want to be mean to Marty, right? I love Marty. <laughs> so uh, I support your uh, TikToks. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I kind of don't get why like this movie costs 200 million because like if you kind of like look at it like we've seen many period pieces at this point right like I don't think like I like I'm doing the math here I'm like all right I imagine like all right Marty Leo and De Niro's like payday that is pretty significant right um but the production itself doesn't seem like super super like elaborate other than like just maybe the amount that they're shooting because it's a three hour. Well, shoot. was there like a supply chain shortage of chips for those roadsters, those 1920s <laughs> Buick roadsters? Must have well, cost a fortune. Well, I think here's the thing. I think it's like also like the COVID um, element that's probably like also drive. Like, I think this movie is probably like 130, 150 because that's like how much like Oppen again, like Oppenheimer is actually a good comparison. That's a period epic. Um, and that only costs like 100 million. But like, I think it's probably like the COVID costs on top of it as well. I let's not slander Marty anymore on the way out. We all like this movie. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's no, like Irishman. Uh, I get like the aging that costs a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Josh. Anything you want to plug social social media wise personally? Now that you're seeing movies again, I don't know if you're popping up much more on Letterbox because I've been terrible on Letterbox recently. But anything you want to plug there, your Instagram or anything? Getting out yeah. there and taking pictures yet? um it's been a while it's been a while i want to but um but for now i'll do jkb 1626 on letterbox matt are you, i think you're a little more enigmatic on social media do you have any any personal things you would like to plug for, whether it be your social media or do you want to be a little bit of a blank slate yeah i'm more of a blank slate i'd That's just fine. like everyone to go into uh, the archives of the rewind there's some really wow. good podcasts out there for some Thank of you, my uh, my recently favorite movies so Got to support the channel here. I appreciate that. As usual, I'm Josh Renovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both uh, Twitter and Letterboxd podcast emails, the Pod at gmail.com, podcast Twitter is at Pod. Coming up next on the podcast, I think we are going to have hopefully an episode on Priscilla, hopefully one on the holdovers that Josh will come back for. And who knows, I, I if I can figure out my movie watching schedule, maybe I'll be seeing Anatomy of a Fall, but like it's, a, it's just going to be a busy weekend for me. But all of those are on my radar. We will have something next week. I want to thank Matt and Josh for joining me again. And I want to thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you next time.